when you're talking about the ego, the temptation is to make the conversation binary, which is in the ego or out of the ego. When we talk about in the ego, people make it binary. They say ego is bad or it's, uh, you know, something. And then they go and out of the ego, I'm good. But actually ego itself is binary. So ego is good and bad and out of it is good and bad. So there is no place you can go that you can describe that isn't binary. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's really important not to enslave ourselves with the idea that uh, there is an, an, uh, that, that ego causes anything bad or that being out of the ego will resolve anything bad. Ego has two points. It's, two, it's built out of fear of the future and guilt about the past. They're the only two emotions a human being can have. They can have fear of the future, guilt of the past, that's it. And every emotion, anger, frustration, annoyance, joy, disappointment comes out of those two binary places. So, when people talk about being in the now, what they're talking about is being halfway between the future and the past. And their the ego can't exist there because fear of the future means you've got to be in the future, worrying about it. Guilt of the past means you've got to be in the past, worrying about it. But if you're in the present moment, there is no, there is no future, there is no past. So that's why... Uh, when you give somebody a sense of purpose in life, they get very present. They, get, they, get, they, they don't operate out of fear. They don't operate out of guilt. They operate out of um, the binary nature of the present, the present second, the present moment. And that's called intensity. So to, to bring a person, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a TV show on Netflix that I've been watching called 14 Peaks. It's a movie. And, and, and in it, Reinhold Messner, who is my hero on the planet, of the greatest spiritual guru on, on earth, who's a mountain climber from Austria. Yeah. And Reinhold Messner says climbing a mountain is, the, he says climbing a mountain is the deepest meditation. Because if you give up climbing up a mountain, you're dead. Yeah. So the... The, 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 the willingness to focus on the now in that moment, if you go out of that moment and into the ego, be worrying about what you did or worrying about what you're going to do, you're pretty much dead. Yeah. So you have yeah. to stay so in the moment. And that's, the, that's what meditation was about. And that's a samurai or a tennis player on the, on the court in, in Wimbledon in the last serve of the last set of the last match after seven hours of tennis with one serve left to go 40 uh, uh, 15 and all they have to do is serve the last serve and they start getting excited about winning Wimbledon and they lose the whole tournament so you can see that's a samurai so when we sit around the house writing notes or mowing the lawn or um uh, watching the Netflix or making dinner, we are absolutely, there's no way we can be in the zone 
right? We have to be in the ego. There is no way you can relax and have um, calm and tranquility and peace and go on holidays and be walking along the beach and go fishing in a boat, having a shag, uh, eating dinner, drinking wine, sitting by a campfire. There's no way you can do all those things and be in the zone, be in the present. You will always in those spaces drift into the ego, the future or the past. Right. So the idea of relaxation in order to become meditative or present or recovered or recuperated, it's really nice because relaxation relaxes your body, allows your body to calm down. It eases all the trauma of everyday living and gives you a sense of displacement from what's going on. But it takes you way out of the zone and so introduces you to all the idiosyncrasies of the ego. Now, Instead of looking at the ego as a a, uh, linear concept, a line across a piece of paper and saying on one end is the past, on the other end is the future, it's better to think about the ego nature of a human being as a pyramid, a a, a cone in a sense. So what I'm going to do is go through what's at the bottom of the cone, what's at the top. So at the top of the pyramid, at the very top, is the word love, unconditional love, UCL. And at the bottom is the word emotion. So at the bottom, if you draw a pyramid, just draw it there. Draw a pyramid on your piece of paper and draw at the very top of the pyramid. uh, Else, because there's a lot of words going to go on this picture. There's a lot of words going to go. It's going to be a big picture. At the bottom, you write uh, the horizontal axis of the bottom of the pyramid is emotion. On the left-hand side of the bottom, put past. On the right-hand side of the pyramid, put future. It doesn't matter which side they go on. So let's go. I'm going to write everything that means top of pyramid, and then I'm going to go bottom. So we're going to go top, bottom, top, bottom, top, bottom. But this is entirety of the ego. At the top, grace, where unconditional love is, at the very top, above unconditional love, in that space above the top of the pyramid, write grace, which is the Christian, yeah, it's up there in in, in outer space. And below emotion, at the bottom of the pyramid, write um, fear and guilt. Above the pyramid, write God, up there somewhere, anywhere. And below the pyramid, write uh, animal. Animal in brackets, instinct. Um, Above the pyramid, write um, uh, uh, intangible. In other words, you can't touch it. Intangible. At the bottom of the pyramid, write material. At the top of the pyramid, write inspiration. At the bottom of the pyramid, write uh, elation and depression on each side. Elation, and doesn't matter which side you write them. Elation, they become binary. So at the bottom of the pyramid, everything is really, really binary, split up. Infatuation and resentment at the bottom of the pyramid. Infatuation, resentment. At the top of the pyramid, um, call it um, present. You know, like not Christmas present, but present right now. Be yeah. present. Yeah. 
at the top of the pyramid, write intensity. Yeah. And the bottom of the pyramid, write peace and war. So I could go on doing this forever. And if you go from the bottom of the pyramid, if you imagine there are seven steps between the bottom of the pyramid and the top, seven layers yeah. to the pyramid, seven segments, if you want to call it that. So the bottom of the pyramid has a segment and there are six more segments all the way up to the very top one. The ego goes from the bottom to the top in graduation. So you can have a really big ego at the bottom of the pyramid and a really small ego at the top of the pyramid. Does that make sense? The last segment yeah. before you hit the top, it's a very little box. Yeah. So if you take the two lines that come from the top down to the bottom in the pyramid, the two diagonals that come down, you can see that if there was a pendulum inside that pyramid swinging from side to side, if there was like a grandfather clock pendulum, if the yeah. length of the pendulum was just in the first section, it wouldn't ticky-tocky very far, right? It'd be going tick-tock, If it's down the bottom, it's going clonk, 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 clonk. And people think they can clonk into happiness, peace, uh, egolessness, or whatever they think they can go into a zone of happiness, or a zone of uh, uh, goodness, or uh, a zone of peace, or a zone of anything, clunk yeah. at the bottom. But that exact same person experiences massive drama because yeah. they go to the other side as well. When we're in a relationship with a family, it's very easy for us to stay polarized over one side because we get the rest of the family to express what it feels like to be on the other side. So if we express happiness and hide away and try to uh, disguise or hide away from unhappiness, one of the members of our family will experience sadness. And this very often happens with people with young teenage kids. They get the, the parents are going, oh, look how happy I am. Look how successful I am. Look how good I am. And the kid feels like shit the whole time. They feel yeah. like shit because the parent doesn't say, I'm happy and sad. Therefore, it doesn't give the kid permission to be happy and sad. So the, the kid feels bad about being sad, which is yeah. not sad and it's not bad. It's just the other side of happy. But the parent doesn't like the other side of happy, so the parent ends up hiding the other side of happy. So then the parent goes, oh, we, you know, the parents start saying, oh, we have a, a you, you know, mother or father isn't, uh, I'm not attracted to them. And they hide in front of the kid's intimacy. But when the kid's gone to bed, the mum and dad are shagging like two goats in a paddock, you know, and, or, or it's the other way around. In front of the kids, they're being nice to each other. And behind, the, when the kids go to bed, dad gives mum a slap or, you know, they're nasty to each other. So the kids yeah. experience half-truth. Yeah. Um, you, you will also get this exact same experience when, uh, when uh, 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 um, somebody goes to work. Um, I've had it many times. I've, I, had a, I coached a couple who were like, um, uh, what do they call it, two peas in a pod. What do they call those two, the, the, the cartoon, two peas in a, anyway, two peas in a pod. 
and they, yeah. yes, honey, no, honey, yes, honey, no, honey, oh, good honey, oh, sweet honey, oh, honey, oh, yeah, honey, oh, you beautiful honey. They came to me as a couple, and, and I, yeah. what the fuck's wrong? Why would you be, oh, we hate our jobs. But of course, they're experiencing all the uppers, no challenge in their relationship, and so they get all of it at work. So it's like somebody lives in a domestic, uh, in a domestic um, where everything's going shitty. They want everything to go great at work. And so they start creating their counterbalance with their workplace. So this, this is the problem with the ego. It is so dualistic at the bottom of the pyramid where we are most making the most money, where we are most making the most powerful impact on the world. In other words, we're expressing our energy. We either have to have someone else who's repressing theirs near us, or we have to have a job that allows us to vent our energy and become bigger than Ben-Hur at work or bigger than Margaret Thatcher and come home and, and eat humble pie at home. We don't like the humble pie. We love the good thing at work. So next thing you know, we're saying the relationship's got a problem. Or we get the beaten the crap out of home. We get beaten the crap out of home, you know, emotionally or mentally, and we go to try and find glory at work. Yeah. So this duality of the ego is, as you go up the cone, the, the distance between the left side and the right side becomes less. And so as you go up, the pendulum's not swinging as far. So what to, in order to live with your ego but not have it run you, You've got to go up the pyramid a bit. And as you go up the pyramid, you start to embrace the two sides of yourself. So instead of up, if you go towards, let's say, uh, want to, uh, desire to, choose to, then I will embrace the elation and depression of Chris Walker rather than be elated and have one of my kids or one of my, or my partner or my private life being the expression of what I what I hide right yeah. so I own you get to, and that's called self-development where you own you become more self-sufficient and so you're not codependent on another person to express and repress your true nature you, it doesn't mean you don't have intimacy it's just you turn up whole yeah. and that means you have to go up to consciousness cone now interestingly there are seven consciousness cones because there's seven areas of life. So if we go up the consciousness cone in uh, our relationship, but we don't go up there and work, then at work, we've got an ego at work and then we've got the opposite at home. So just because we go conscious in the yoga class or conscious in relationship doesn't mean we're conscious everywhere. So we say, we come up with the statement that says a balanced person is balanced in all areas of life. Balanced in their relationship, balanced in... And that means not balanced by another person. It doesn't mean balanced by, like, I work hard and then I take time off, which is the absolute yeah. bottom of the consciousness cone. The absolute ego, the, the highest expression of the ego is I work really hard and then I take the weekend off. That is the ego expressed perfectly at work. The trouble with that is while the ego expresses itself aggressively at work, I work really hard, some poor bastard at work's copying the other side of that expression. They're, they're in a sense of 
incompetence or their sense of self-deprecation. So we, we sort of don't give a shit when we're in our ego. We, we, it's a little bit bombastic. We also uh, might become really down on ourselves, uh, worry, because we put somebody else and allow them to express happiness. So we, yeah. we might go into the dark side of, of our ego and, and worry about the past and worry about this. And, and there might be someone who's not, you know, we, we, someone who's happy that we're worried because that means they don't have to. We can also, uh, if we talk about worry, we can, if we worry about the past, we can sometimes try to counterbalance that by enthusiasm about the future. So if you imagine that there's a halfway point in the ego between the past and the future where there is no worry, where you're a little bit at the top of the pyramid because you're in the middle, right? Yeah. It, it's a vertical. So if, I worry, if I'm worried about something that happened in the past, I, what I might do is start really infatuating how good it's going to be in the future in order to balance the two stupids. But the worrying about the past way down the bottom of the consciousness cone, like really worried about what I did or didn't do or could have done or should have done, and counterbalancing at what I uh, could do, will do, can do, uh, looking forward to doing, although it brings balance to the idea, it's a freaking big pendulum swing. Yeah. It's like a wrecking ball. Yeah. Instead of being a little twiddly diddly, tick tock, tick tock, tick up the top, it's a wrecking ball. And it goes from one side, worried about the puzzle, worried about the puzzle, oh, can't sleep, can't sleep, can't think, can't clear. Zoom, bang, cross to the other side. And it goes, I'm looking forward to the future. Wow, someone's, I can't wait. I'm going to go on holidays. I'm going to have a trip. I'm going to have all this money. I'm going to have fortune, five million. I'm going to be this. And I'm going to be, you know, shagging every day. And I look at me, look at me. And then, worried about the past, worried about the past. Oh, gee, I'm really depressed. Oh, I could have done that better. Could have done. I'm looking forward to the future. And it depends who we're talking to, where we're at, whether we have breakfast, lunch or dinner, because in the morning we always think of the future. In the night we always think about the past. So most alcohol-addicted people um, uh, uh, have their alcohol in the evening. Why? In the morning they don't need it. It's the singing about the future. In the morning, we're looking forward to the day ahead. The pendulum swings up, right? right? And then in the afternoon, the pendulum goes, cracks into the wall and smacks over everything, knocks over the tin pins. And they're in the past. They've got guilt about what they haven't done, what they could have done, what they should have done. And the only way to get back to this pendulum is to drink a bottle of uh, gin and tonic or whatever it is.